Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are here all the time, every Sunday, throughout the week as believers in Christ to know God and make Him known. And that is the mission that we have been given as believers. And so we are continuing in light of that, our sermon series incarnate, and talking about this Advent season, those four things that Jesus in his incarnation brings for us. And if you remember, incarnation is simply to put on flesh, to to become uh, embodied. And we know that in the manger, well, actually about nine months prior to the manger, the second person of the Trinity began the process of putting on flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was conceived in the Virgin Mary. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was in his mother's womb for nine months and then was born that Christmas morning to give us some specific things. First, he came to be peace in the flesh for us. Peace for us. And that's peace with God, peace with one another. Peace in ourselves and being able to rest at night. And the, the, the angel's declaration in Luke 2.14 reminds us of that peace that Jesus came to give us. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. We celebrate this Christmas season, this, this Advent season, the peace that Jesus came to bring us. Last week, Elder Steve did a great job showing us about the love that Jesus came to, to, to give us and how the very incarnation itself was an act of love that should inspire you and I to love others in the name of Christ. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, in order for Christ to die, what has to happen first? Well, he has to live. He has to be born. He has to become incarnate. And so the incarnation is the very first step towards this redemption that shows the love of God and should inspire us to show the love of God toward others, sharing the gospel this Christmas season. Today we're going to talk about week three of our Advent season. We've lit the third candle and we're talking about hope in the flesh. How Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again to bring us real and genuine hope. He put on flesh, John 1.14. We went over this the first week. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus didn't pretend to be human. He didn't sort of look a little human, but he was really some sort of specter or ghost. But Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, the, the one who was in the beginning and was God and was with God, the one who is in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he gives up all of those rights and privileges of heaven in order to come and put on flesh and dwell amongst us. And so as we see what Jesus does, we understand he has come to bring us hope. 
Augustine in AD uh, 354 to 430. That's how, uh, when he lived, he said this, Christ added to himself that which he was not. He did not lose what he was. In other words, that Jesus, when he came and put on flesh, he did not become less God. Instead, he became fully God, fully man in the incarnation. Uh, Gregory of Nanzianzus. Now you might wonder why is he called that? Because he was from a place called Nanzianzus. And, and so he's Gregory from that city. And just like, I guess you'd be like so-and-so of Peter's, right? It, but he lived from AD 329 to 390. And he says this about the importance of the incarnation. That which is not assumed is not healed. That which is united to God, that will be saved. What he's telling us and reminding us early in the life of the Christian church is that it was critically important for the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, to genuinely put on flesh and be just like you and I when it comes to being human. Because if he did not assume all that we are, he did not put on what it is to be fully human, he could not save us completely. There'd be little pockets of our humanity that remained unredeemed. But because he united himself completely to us in the flesh and dwelt among us, every last bit of who we are can be saved and redeemed. Now that should excite us because we, we should understand there is nothing in or of us that is beyond the redemptive power found in Christ Jesus. He put on everything like we are and saved everything that we are through his life, death, and resurrection. And that should bring us great hope. Brothers and sisters, we are in a season where, where there's so much going on and we might be a little stressed out and we might be freaked out about not having the right number of gifts under the tree. Shelly, it's okay. Instead, we need to abandon those things, the stresses and the fears and the worries of this season and grab fully hold of the hope that comes to us in the incarnation. There is nothing better than this gift that is given to us in the manger. Nothing that gives us greater hope. Now, sometimes we hear the word hope and we think of, well, crossing our fingers and I really hope this happens. But we're not talking about hope that way this morning. What we're talking about is in the incarnation and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find some certain Promises and future events for those who believe that are going to happen no matter what. And they will redefine how we view today in light of what is yet to come. And it gives us a hope. It gives us an inspiration. It gives us a, a desire to get out of bed. Anybody had a morning? I, I got to be honest. This morning, I woke up. It was about 6 o'clock. My alarm was supposed to go off at 6.30, but the dogs started moving around and growling at each other. And so I woke up, and I am laying there. And after quieting the dogs and separating them, I'm laying there and just going, God, please help me. Because today, 
I don't know that I want to. I'm excited by the sermon. I, I look forward to church, but this bed feels so good. And I mean, it's not going to work out the way I want it anyway. So, oh, Lord, help me. And, and just learning how to grab a hold of the certainty of our future helps us to get out of bed in the morning. It helps us to go to work when we don't want to. It helps us to love our children when they're unlovable, to love our friends and enemies when they are incorrigible. Hope helps sustain us. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, completely putting on flesh, becoming just like you and us, fully human, gives us hope. Because if he comes and puts on all that we are and redeems all that we can be on the cross, then we can have hope every day about what is to come. First, we have the hope of grace. The hope of grace. Now, a lot of us, we look in the mirror and we look at who we are and we look at how our week has been and, and how things haven't worked outright and how we've failed in one way or another. And we need desperately to experience grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. And all of us need it. Because we will condemn ourselves, we will hate ourselves, we will struggle with our shortcomings and lack of accomplishment. And so we need grace and we have the hope of grace. Why? Because Jesus Christ came and put on flesh in the incarnation and walked this life just like us. Luke chapter 2 verses 51 and 52. We don't have a lot of history on Jesus' life. We, we know a couple of things. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, he's a little bit older, eight days later, and his parents get him circumcised at the temple in Jerusalem. A, a little bit later, he goes to Egypt. A little bit later, we see he moves to Nazareth. A little bit later, he comes and celebrates Passover in Jerusalem and ends up being left behind by his parents. And then all of a sudden, he's a grown-up man. I mean, just these little snippets of his childhood. But what we have here in Luke chapter 2 is the big picture. And it says this, uh, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. So Jesus was obedient to his parents who took him home to Nazareth. And then it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Now you might read that phrase and go, huh? Let me tell you what it means in simple street terms. Jesus grew up and lived with relationships and grew up in size and grew in his relationship with God and grew in his relationship with others. Jesus experienced a growing up and maturing process just like you and I. Now we, we might go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't he God? Doesn't he already know everything? Doesn't he control everything? Wasn't that little baby holding creation together? Yes. And yet, Scripture tells us at the same time, he was fully experiencing what it was to be human, just like you and I. We, we can look at our own childhoods and go, yeah, I mean, I have these excuses, all of my dysfunction. Jesus grew up the poor child of a carpenter, a, a tecton, actually, a builder. His hands would have been dirty as he learned his stepfather's trade. He, he would have experienced hunger. And, and there is a good chance because 
of the, the history surrounding his birth and all the questions about, well, your parents weren't actually together yet, were they? Uh, when, when Mary got pregnant, there's a good chance Jesus probably faced some, some uh, well, some, some naysayers and, and some negative talk and, and people might have made fun of him. Jesus grew up. This should excite us because we know that he understands us. He's experienced this life. When we look at what the gospels tell us about Jesus, we see that Jesus, he was just like us in all of these ways. He was thirsty. Now, this is specifically on the cross in Matthew 25. But if he was thirsty on the cross, we know he got thirsty before that. He drank He ate. He got hungry. Jesus didn't just walk around and and float across the earth and and have some sort of supernaturally special body. But the man got hungry. Jesus grew weary. He needed to rest. He needed to sleep. In fact, most of or some of the stories center around Jesus falling asleep in a boat while his disciples were freaking out in a storm. You know, we got some great stories about how Jesus just sleeps through all kinds of stuff. Some of you could sleep through some of Jesus' sermons so well uh, that you get weary and you just can't. And that's not a dig. I am so thankful that you find the peace of God so overwhelming in the presence of this fellowship that you fall asleep. Hallelujah. Rest away. Try and catch the sermon on the, on the recording later, right? But Jesus, Jesus, in his, in his humanity, he felt sadness. He felt compassion. He felt righteous anger. He, he felt frustration. He was troubled in his spirit. When, when we read this, when we see this, you understand every emotion you have felt, Jesus felt everything that you have struggled with Jesus has experienced yet without sin it tells us in scripture that Jesus was belittled and he was genuinely tempted to sin but did not and so we see in Jesus he has fully experienced what it is to be human and so it gives us this hope Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 puts it this way for we do not have now that's a double negative so you got to pay attention right we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize there's the double negative instead maybe you need to read it we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Now, we might think, well, well, if Jesus has been tempted in every way but didn't sin, doesn't that mean he's going to, like, judge me? Doesn't it mean that he's going to, well, I did it, can't you? No. Here's what it says is the, 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 the offspring, the, the drawing out of that thought. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. So may so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. You see, because of the incarnation, because the God put on flesh and walked among us, and he grew up like us, and he ate like us, and he drank like us, and he was tempted like us, and he grew weary like us, and he was hurt like us, and he was sad like us, and he was happy like us, because he has experienced the fullness of this life and yet without sin, we can walk up to him in prayer. We can come into his presence and say, help! And he looks at us and he can say to us, I know exactly what you're going through. 
Let me give you the favor, the grace, the strength that you need to make it through. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great hope? Something to look forward to. Tonight when you lay in bed and wonder, is it worth it? Am I good enough? Why? You can look to the God of creation, Christ, who put on flesh and walked among us. And when you pray to him and you beg him to help you out, he's not looking down on you in condescension and saying, ah, you terrible little squirm. Why can't you do better? He is looking at every struggle you've had and saying, I understand. Let me give you the strength you need. All because of the incarnation, we can have confidence in the hope of grace. Not only can we have the hope of grace, but we can have because of the incarnation, because of Jesus putting on flesh and dwelling among us, we have the hope of salvation. And remember, when we talk about hope, it is a certain thing. You have an appointment for grace on your calendar whenever you need it. If you'll come to the king and ask. You have a certain destiny for salvation if you will turn your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will be saved both now and forevermore. Here's how. Romans puts it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? We know that in his flesh, Jesus paid the price for our sin and that his blood cleanses us and makes us pure. And if God was willing to make us right through his death, now that he's been resurrected and brought back to life and ruling and reigning, how much more will be saved from everything that troubles us and tempts us and tries us? Romans 5.19, for just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now, who was that one man who first disobeyed and made us all sinners? Adam. So, also, through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Through the obedience in the flesh of Jesus Christ, all who would believe on him can be declared righteous and saved. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which is a proclamation of his deity, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is a declaration and a belief on his full humanity. Now, why is it that being raised from the dead is is declaring his full humanity? Because what do you have to be to be brought back to life? Dead. And you have to have flesh. You have to have a body. You have to have a body that genuinely is born and lives and dies in order to be raised up again. And so Jesus is God and Jesus is man, fully God and fully man. And because he came in a manger and lived and died and rose again, when we believe on him, confessing with our mouth in his deity, believing in our hearts, in the fullness of his humanity, what does it say will happen? You might be saved if you try hard enough and are a good person. No, you will be saved. It is a declaration. It is a promise. It is a hope. Your salvation, when you believe on Jesus Christ, confessing his deity, 
believing on his humanity, your salvation is certain and unquestionable. David Fairbairn, he's a theologian. He says this, we do not need help to save ourselves. Now, if you stop there, you might go, yeah, I can do it myself. No, we do not need help to save ourselves. We need someone else to come down to do that for us. The person who did that, the only person who could do that was God the Son. He accomplished our salvation by assuming humanity into his own person so that he, the second person of the Trinity, could live a human life and accomplish for us what we could not do ourselves. Doing this, he was the most fully human person in history and he accomplished the salvation of the human race. Jesus put on flesh to live a perfect and sinless life in your place and die on the cross in your place so that when you believe on him, you might be saved. Here's what Millard Millard Erickson, another theologian, says and how he describes it. If Jesus was not really one of us, humanity has not been united with deity and we cannot be saved. For the validity of the work accomplished in Christ's death, or at least its applicability to us as human beings, depends upon the reality of its humanity, just as the efficacy of it depends on the genuineness of his deity. In other words, Jesus had to be fully human for his sacrifice to apply to us, but he had to be fully God in order to afford the cost of that sacrifice. The rapper Shailin puts it this way. Only a human could substitute for human lives, but only God can take the wrath of God and survive. I kind of like Shailin's version a little bit easier. It's a little little easier to explain. It's from a really cool rap album called Lyrical Theology. If you like rap, even if you don't like rap, you will learn some stuff if you listen to Shailin's album lyrical theology and because this this song is from the uh the act of obedience of jesus yeah that's right some really deep good theology but only a human can substitute for human lives but only god can take the wrath of god and survive jesus had to be completely human and completely man er, and completely god excuse me in order to pay the price for our sin in the right currency And be able to afford to pay that price as God incarnate. And so we have this hope of salvation. Martin Luther says this. He does not give grace so freely that he has demanded no satisfaction. In other words, God cannot just dole out grace. Instead, he must be satisfied. His righteousness must be satisfied. But rather, he has given Christ as the one who makes the satisfaction for us. In his deity, in his humanity, this little baby lives a life like we did, do. (laughs) He lives and dies on our behalf and rises again to satisfy the righteous judgment of God for all 
who would believe. And because the judgment of God is satisfied, because we can be declared righteous before God, we have the hope of adoption as sons and daughters of God. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. If you are born again in Christ Jesus, your new birth is as a son or daughter of God. Some of us might have been brought up to believe that we're all God's children. That's actually not what scripture says. In fact, scripture says something very different. Scripture says those who are believers are God's children, but those who are unbelievers are children of their father, the father of lies and children of wrath. And we must understand what a beautiful hope this adoption is. We are being brought into the family of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says this. When the time came to completion, in other words, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The incarnation is critical because it is in the flesh of Jesus that the price for sin is paid and we are able to be adopted into the family of God. And because you are sons and let's we can add in there and and not be twisting scripture and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, "Abba, Father." Abba is not a an a a, a disco group. Uh, And were they disco? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Abba is not a music group. Abba is a term of endearment for father. It is a a deep-seated cry out for affection and connection. And so we are gifted the hope of adoption through the life of Jesus Christ. David Fairbairn, again, he's quoting Cyril of Alexandria's Christology. And he says this, indeed, it is precisely in the depths that we need God's presence. And if God were not to meet us there in the depths of our sin and our humanity and our brokenness, if he were not to meet us there, we would have no hope of grace, adoption, or salvation. If God were to simply stand back and look at us and say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I hope you can fix it. Instead of actually entering into our brokenness and our hurt and our sinfulness, we would have no hope of grace, adoption, or salvation. Only if God, the Logos himself, has personally descended to the lowest point of human experience can God meet us where we are in order to fill us with his presence, with his grace, and with himself. The incarnation is necessary For you and I to meet God. Otherwise we would be dead in our sin. We would be lost forevermore. We would have no hope. And we would have no family. Then the next hope that that we see in the incarnation. Is the hope of resurrection. Now a lot of us. We have grown up thinking about one thing. When it comes to our eternal state. What is that thing that we think about? That place that we think about? Heaven. 
And, and if you grew up on Southern gospel music, you know that there are streets of gold. There's a mansion there for you. All your friends will be there. There'll be a big party, uh, probably an ice cream social, likely fried chicken. Uh, you know, if, if you grew up and, and, and there was this focus on heaven in your upbringing in church, it's a good focus. But what we need to understand is that biblically, heaven is just the waiting room for what is to come in eternity. The real hope for all of us is not a disembodied, out there kind of existence where we strum harps and float along and ride clouds, but instead, it is that each and every one of us will be resurrected, brought back as God intended in the flesh to an eternal life without sin or despair or hurt anymore. We have a hope of resurrection. What we mean is we will all be resurrected, some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation. And what Jesus makes possible in his flesh, in coming and living and dying and rising again for us, is he makes the resurrection to eternal life possible. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 and 14 says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if you don't believe in resurrection, then... Um, even Jesus couldn't have come back from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Resurrection is a critical component of the Christian faith. And not just the resurrection of Jesus, but our resurrection as well. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. We have a date, a destiny. When you have believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a date on your eternal calendar where you will be raised up again in a perfect body like Jesus. Amen. There is a resurrection coming. And some of us, we, we are looking forward to it more than others. And here's why. When you're in your 20s, not such a big deal. You're in your 30s, you start thinking, this is like my prime. Life's good. You start hitting your 40s and you start looking forward to the resurrection. Right? And, and, and you look forward even more, I would imagine, as you get a little bit further along. And some of us, we have lost things that we look forward to their restoration in the resurrection. Not your mind, Steve. You're still pretty, pretty cohesive or coherent. Um, but, but yes, uh, with there's, we have a date on our calendar when we will be brought back to life forevermore because Jesus came and put on flesh, paid the Christ for our sins in his flesh and then rose again literally and physically to prove that this is coming for all who believe on him. If we were to look later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it, it gives more details about this and how there's going to be a trumpet, whether we actually hear it or not. But, but there is a declaration about the time is right and all will be called up. We'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. You've probably heard that in a Southern Gospel song or read it somewhere. There'll be a moment where everyone will be raised back up to life once again. 
First the dead in Christ shall rise, and it won't be like walking dead brains, but they will be brought back with brand new bodies, fully restored like Christ as they were meant to be. When we look back in Genesis chapter 1, why did God create man and woman? Well, because he, it, it was for his good pleasure, but also to have dominion over the earth and to fill it. We were made to be gardeners who hung out with lots of other people. And we were made to work. We were made to live. We were made to be fleshly beings. That's what God wanted But sin broke that. Sin hurt that. Sin destroyed that. And in Christ Jesus, the the promise of resurrection is sure for all who believe. The promise of resurrection to eternal life. At the end of this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have, we have the hope of grace, the hope of salvation, the hope of adoption, and then the hope of resurrection. Eternal life where we will be finally and fully victorious in Christ Jesus. We also have the hope of redemption. If you were to open up to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, the Apostle Paul begins to tell us how everything is looking forward to the day of redemption. He says that all of creation groans waiting to be redeemed. And the day will come when Jesus returns that everything will be made new once again. Not just us raised up into a world just like this, but us raised up into a world like it was meant to be. Wasps won't sting. Mosquitoes won't suck your blood. Spiders won't creep you out. They might even talk. I don't know. That's what C.S. Lewis, when C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and he, he imagines Narnia, a place that is untouched by sin in the same way that the earth is, he imagines the animals talking to people and being sentient because God created us to rule over them, to participate in life with them. And he sees a perfect world where, where things are as they should be and animals talk where creation is restored and redeemed. This is the dream, the hope that we have. Romans 8, 24. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? In other words, it's not done yet, but the day is coming when it will be. When not only will we be resurrected, but all of creation will be fully redeemed around us. And stuff will be more real and more tangible and more amazing than we have ever experienced. Have you ever had a moment where you're standing somewhere in this beautiful creation of God and just been like, wow, this is phenomenal. Edge of the Grand Canyon, for me, that's one of those experiences. First of all, it makes my back hurt because I'm scared of heights and the kids like to get too close to the edge. But then you just stand there and you see the beauty of it and the sunset over the Grand Canyon. And it just makes you pause. And that is just a taste of what the redeemed future will look like. We have the hope of redemption. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. There will come a day where all of creation will be redeemed. Verse 7 goes on to say this, The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now the one who conquers is the one who remains faithful to the hope of Christ within them and before them. And we have this promise that we will inherit this new earth and we will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And then the last thing that we have as a hope given to us by the incarnation is the hope of the return physically of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says this, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. We eagerly wait for the blessed hope, the return of Jesus. He will come again. Acts chapter 1 the, uh, the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven and disappear into the clouds. And could you imagine that experience? Probably just kind of one of those. Kind of moments. And you know what happens? They get caught there, jaws agape. An angel looks at them and goes, hey, why are you standing here? He's coming back. Go do what he told you. More or less, that's the Michael version. But, but that's the deal, is that we were told, go out and live for Jesus, because he's coming back. There's a, not just, not just, oh, I hope so. Wouldn't it be nice if he did? But a certain event on God's calendar, and mine and yours as well, if we believe on Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus says in chapter 22, verses 20 and 21 of Revelation. He who testifies about these things, which is Jesus himself, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. We have the hope of his return. There is a day coming where Jesus will return physically. Much like he came physically the first time, he will return in in the same body, restored, redeemed, and renewed, eternal, right here to earth, and we will all know it's happening. And it could happen at any moment now. And that is, for those who are Christians, our great hope. It will be a day of rejoicing and reward for all those who believe on Christ Jesus. For those of you who may not believe on Jesus, Scripture tells us that that day will be a day of judgment. And it will be a day of trial. And it will be a day that you will remember forever because... You will stand before a perfect and holy and righteous God in your imperfection and your unrighteousness and he will give you the just reward for your rebellion against him, which scripture says is the lake of fire, the second death. For those of us who know Jesus, it's a great hope, something to look forward to. For those of us who do not, it's time to consider whether he's worth reconsidering today. Because the eternal son of God became flesh, we have hope. And and I I probably could have just started at the beginning of the sermon and said this, 
and then we could all gone to lunch earlier. But you know me, I can't do that. Because the eternal son of God became flesh, we have hope. And what, what is that hope? Well, we have the hope of grace. Knowing that because Jesus has walked in the flesh and grown up in the flesh, literally and truly and fully, just like you and I, we know he understands us and will give us grace in the time of need. We know that because Jesus came, the second person of the Trinity put on flesh and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for you and I, we know that the payment for your sin and mine has been made in the right currency, human flesh, by someone rich enough to pay it, God himself. And he rose again on the third day to prove it's true. We have this certain hope of salvation. We have the hope of adoption. If you are in Christ Jesus today, you are a son or daughter of the most high God. And you have the privilege of crying out to him, Abba, daddy, my beloved father. We have the hope of resurrection. This body is not the end of the story. But because Jesus came in the flesh and rose again in the flesh, we too will rise again in perfect flesh. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more pain. There is a perfect body awaiting, for all, the, awaiting all those who believe on Jesus Christ. We have the promise of redemption. We won't be resurrected into a broken, messed up, twisted up world, but one that is perfect as God intended for it to be on that first day of, well, sixth day of creation. And then we have the hope of his return. Our king is coming back. It is a certainty that he will return. And will it be a genuine hope for you or something that only creates fear and something that is a, a consternation for you, something that troubles your spirit? The only way for all of these things to be genuine hopes in your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To confess with your mouth that he is Lord, proclaiming his deity, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead declaring his humanity and you will be saved let's pray and then we're going to have the privilege this morning of partaking of communion together and just sharing in the bread and the cup which remind us of the incarnation of christ and the great hope that comes to all those who believe on him let's pray father we thank you so much for the gift of your son how in it we see peace incarnate, how you wanted to restore a relationship with us. So you sent your son to reconcile us to yourselves. We see in, in the incarnation love and how you loved us so much and proved your love for us by giving your son to live and die for us in the flesh, in history. We see in the incarnation hope, knowing that just as Jesus lived this life and died on our behalf and rose again, that we can find grace in our times of trouble, salvation when we believe on him as Lord and Savior, resurrection and adoption and his return to make all things perfect. What hope you gave us 
in that day in Bethlehem when he was born. Pray that if there's anyone this morning that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, that you, by the power of the Spirit, would convict them. You'd soften their hearts. You'd help them to understand the error of their ways and their need for a Savior. And that they would ask someone how they too might be saved. And for those of us who know you, but are walking in a way that does not glorify you, today may we know the hope that comes from you and living in that hope, walk in such a way that we declare it to the world around us. Thank you for your love for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning.